right, let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you for your word and for everything that's contained in it, for we know it is truth. And uh, Lord, we just ask that you would make truth clear to us today. And uh, no matter that what I might say and whether it's um, completely accurate or not, Lord, I just pray that your truth is what comes through. So give you praise and thanks and ask this in Jesus' name. Um, first, I'd like to point out, welcome back, Steve. <laughs> I'm going to kind of keep my distance since I still have a little bit of the germ thing going on, but um, it's really good to see you. Excellent. Are they going to write you up in a medical journal like because you're one of the fastest recovery on this in, in the world ever. Yeah. Steve had open heart surgery where they, you know, cracked and did all that mess and so he has uh, shown amazing resilience and it's it's very great to see you here. <coughs> All right, so the light of the world. Now, what you're seeing here is the uh, Bottoms family home in uh, Chesterfield. This actually is in Brander Mill. And um, if you missed it on the news, this won um, a contest through uh, USA Today's Best Private Holiday Lights Display. And um, it was the only home in Virginia to make it on the list. It, uh, there were 20 contestants from private homes. I'm down with that a little bit. Uh, they won $5,000 and a uh, feature on usatoday.com and a mention on Inside Edition. Um, and I, it was kind of fun. I found this, this was a, a drone that is flying over the house and taking these pictures. Someone put a camera on a drone and so they had it posted on YouTube and I was able to grab it. Um, 175,000 lights went into this, which is pretty impressive. And it takes the family about two months to get all this up and, and put together. And they've been doing this for 20 years, making this display. And uh, reportedly, people from as far away as Texas and California have actually come to see this. Um, <coughs> so, and I... I don't know if you also saw in the paper the other day, they were, I think last night or Friday night, may have been the last night they were going to have them on because it was creating such a traffic problem. It was bad before, but once they won, it evidently just grew exponentially and uh, people were stuck trying to get to their home and waiting an hour just to get home once they got in the neighborhood, right? So, pretty, um, pretty bad. But, you know, I think if nothing else, it sort of proves that we're all drawn to light. Yeah? It's exciting. You know, light can be beautiful as well as it's practical. Uh, we, many of us have uh, just one tiny bulb in our house that we turn on at night because we have to walk down a dark hallway or, you know, through the dark to get to bathroom or to investigate something that you know may have gone on and we just want to be able to see and so 
you know, that one tiny light can really make that possible. And then you obviously see if you add 174,999 more what you can do, right? And I really can't think of anyone that I've known over the years that prefers darkness to light. Um, you know, light is <coughs> typically synonymous with life and with things that are good, while darkness has always been synonymous with death and evil, honestly. Um, as maybe some of you as parents have said to your teenage children, um, nothing good happens after midnight. I was, as I was thinking about this, it reminded me of, uh, I guess it was probably 10, 11 years ago when Hurricane Isabel came through and you know, a lot of people lost power. Uh, I was at the Farm Bureau then and we were without power for, I don't know, like 10 days, I think, running solely on a generator. But in our house, we lost power. And so it's one day, you know, shortly after the storm that Sally and I were out in the yard and we're picking up sticks and limbs and trying to clean up a little bit after this. And if you remember, it was really muggy after that storm came through. It was real hot and muggy. And so we were just, you know, like you get after being outside for several hours working and it's hot and muggy. So we uh, called some friends of ours and we went over to their house and we were able to take a shower and get cleaned up a little bit and then we went back. Well, we didn't think to take a flashlight with us in the car. So when we get back to the house, it is pitch black. You know, we live out in the country. There's no real ambient light. It's, there was, I guess, clouds still. So there wasn't much of a moon. And, you know, we go into this house that we had lived in at that point for at least five years. And it was almost like you'd never been in it before. You know, you're running into walls and stubbing your toe on stuff. And uh, it, it's, it really impressed upon me how disorienting total darkness can be. You know, and eventually we finally found a flashlight and got some candles on it. <clears throat> but it's really paralyzing. You know, if you're in the middle of it, you just, you don't even know which way is, you know, is a good way to go or which way is fraught with uh, things to stub your toe on. And I really think that's probably true whether we're talking about physical darkness or if we're talking about emotional or spiritual darkness. And so the reading that I have from our uh, Re Receive the Blessing devotional really focuses on this idea of Jesus as the light of the world pushes back that darkness that wants to creep into our lives. So um, listen as I read this. Last Thursday was Christmas Day and Christ has come. Jesus is the light that enlightens all men. As he walked where men faced the shadow of death, saw the light of life and was satisfied and burst from the grave as the light of the world forever. Christmas is the miracle of light piercing the darkest places. Jesus is the light of the world, yes, but he is also light to the darkened heart. Have you ever awakened in a completely dark room in the middle of the night? Your mind is fogged with sleep and your eyes haven't adjusted to the lack of light. You slowly get up, begin to walk, and smack your foot hits the corner post of the bed kind of muffles the scream that you'd really like to let go and you
for your now tear-filled eyes to adjust to the darkness. Christmas is that moment when people everywhere stumbled in the dark. Christ came and he filled this room, the room of the world, with the brightest of lights. Some eyes simply hide from the brilliance. Others recoil at the thought of having their darkest thoughts and actions exposed. Still other eyes adjust quickly. C.S. Lewis, in his children's book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, puts it brilliantly. The children in the story are headed toward Aslan's country on a great ship. And as they get closer, something profound happens to their eyes. He writes, they could look straight up at the sun without blinking. They could see more light than they had ever seen before. These are kingdom eyes, always looking for the brightness of Christ that will cast out the darkness within our hearts. We welcome the light with the innocence of a child. Life can really have a way of making us feel alone. We fall into a dull sleep of daily responsibilities and burdens lose focus on Jesus, forget our tethers of relationship and family, and wander in a dark, silent room where our spirit feels alone. It is in those moments the enemy of our soul steps in, positions himself as a wise serpent, and whispers into our heart, you have no one, no hope, no light. Into this dark room, Jesus steps. And when Jesus enters the room, hope enters the room. Christmas is the light of hope pouring into the dark places of distrust and loneliness in our hearts. Just as a single shining star pierced a night sky to reveal the Savior of the world so many years ago, so too Jesus is the star that flings the doors of our confusion open and casts burning light into deep shadows. Even if you've experienced the light of Christ bringing hope into your heart at many times along your journey, the heart has a way of wandering back into those isolated rooms, closing the doors and turning off the lights. We hide from reality and resist the light penetrating our spiritual blindness. Jesus is the blessing that we've been waiting for. He ignores the lock and calls us to fling the door wide open yet again. This Christmas season, you can receive the blessing of Christ's presence to you as the light of the world. Welcome him into the dark, cold, confusing places that are demanding your attention right now and expect his guidance to displace the darkness. Well, the scripture that, that we're kind of basing all of this on is a scripture from John's Gospel, John 8, 12, <clears throat> which says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now see, in, in Jewish literature in general, it was pretty generous with this title of uh, light of the world because if you read it, it actually can apply to Israel, it can apply
apply to Jerusalem, it can apply to the patriarchs of the faith, it can apply to the Messiah, or it can apply to God, sometimes famous rabbis, and even the law were all referred to in various places as the light of the world. But the thing to remember is that it always referred to something significant. Whenever they talked about the light of the world, they were talking about something that was really important. And it's one of the major themes in John's gospel. And he makes, or we could draw maybe several assumptions from this verse that I just read. <clears throat> one is that the world needs light. And John's already said that in chapter 1, if you remember his famous opening. Two, there are conditions for seeing and knowing the light. You have to follow Jesus. That's what this verse says. And that we could define that really as accepting the gift of forgiveness that he's offered to us and then abandoning our own way of life and choosing to walk in his way instead. And then finally, walking in the light can be permanent. We don't say is, but can. And the reason I say it that way <clears throat> is that if you look at that whoever follows me, that's actually a present participle. And it indicates a continuing action. Whoever keeps on following me may be another way to say that. And so we have this idea that true Christian discipleship's got to be a way of life. You, you can't just do it once and say, okay, well, I'm good, and then just keep doing whatever you want to do. It doesn't work that way. Jesus tells us that we have to keep on following. But even if we are currently following Jesus, and, and all of that's true for us, you know, as this devotional stated, there's this tendency of our hearts to kind of wander back over into the darkness. You know, for whatever reason, we get discouraged with something. And, you know, maybe we've been praying about something and we've not gotten the answer that we want. You know, for so many people, the only right answer to prayer is if God says, yes, you can do that, or yes, I'll do that. They don't sort of acknowledge that no is also an answer. And sometimes God says no. And if God's saying no in a particular circumstance, they get depressed and discouraged and they feel like God's not hearing them. When he's hearing them extremely well, they just don't really kind of put two and two together to get the fact that the answer really is no. Or maybe we never actually have left the darkness and we still find ourselves there. So in what ways is Jesus the light of the world to us? Point number one in this is that Christ is the light of the world to the darkened heart. Now, in his book, it was a, Philip Yancey wrote a book called Vanishing Grace. He's written a lot of books. But in this particular book, he shares a story about a World War II veteran currently serving as a pastor. And this man had participated in the liberation of Dachau um, when the Allies finally came and uh, were able to liberate the captives that were there. <clears throat> and so at the end of the war, as the U.S. soldiers marched through the gates of Dachau, nothing could prepare them for what they found in the boxcars within the camp. 
The man said, a buddy and I were assigned to one boxcar. Inside were human bodies stacked in neat rows exactly like firewood. Most were corpses, but a few still had a faint pulse. The Germans, ever meticulous, had planned out the rows, alternating the heads and feet and accommodating different sizes and shapes of bodies. <clears throat> Our job was like moving furniture. We would pick up each body and carry it to a designated area. He goes on to say, I spent two hours in the boxcar. <coughs> two hours that for me included every known emotion. Rage, pity, shame, revulsion, every negative emotion, I should say. They came in waves, all but the rage. It stayed fueling our work. Then a fellow soldier named Chuck <coughs> agreed to escort 12 SS officers who were in charge of Dachau to, to an interrogation center nearby. A few minutes later, the crew working in the boxcar heard bursts of machine gun fire. Soon Chuck came strolling out, smoke still curling from the tip of his weapon. They all tried to run away he said with a leer. When Yancey asked if anyone reported what Chuck did or took disciplinary action, the pastor said this, no, and that's what got to me. It was on that day that I felt called by God to be a pastor. First, there was the horror of the corpses in the boxcar. I could not absorb such a scene. I did not know such absolute evil existed. <clears throat> but when I saw it, I knew beyond doubt that I must spend my life serving whatever opposed such evil, serving God. <clears throat> then came the incident with Chuck. <clears throat> I had a nauseating fear the captain might call on me to escort the next group of SS guards and an even more dread fear that if he did, I might do the same as Chuck. The beast that was within those guards was also within me. You see, a darkened heart is something our culture doesn't like to talk about. We seem to be okay acknowledging some measure of evil. It helps us deal with what's on the news, whether it's terrorists killing hundreds or an individual who kills two cops. Where it gets uncomfortable for many people is this idea that we all have a darkened heart. It goes against the whole, oh, I don't need God because I'm a good person. see, Chuck's story flies in the face of it. Not only did he come face to face with unspeakable evil, he recognized that the same seed of that evil was in him too. And that it had the potential to grow into something as horrible as the Nazis. Now, you can tell me I'm weird. You can tell me I'm crazy. 
can tell me I'm just an uneducated backwoods bumpkin, but you will not sway me from a belief that we all have an enemy who is evil and would like nothing better than to exploit the darkened heart that's within us. And only by following <coughs> the light of the world can you escape the impact of your darkened heart. Excuse me a moment. Jesus' light penetrates the darkness inside and helps us understand its destructive nature. We do that by reading God's word. <clears throat> See, in that <clears throat> same prologue of, of John's gospel that I talked about, within the first six verses, John just so beautifully connects these aspects <clears throat> of Jesus being the word and Jesus being light. And so this idea of reading the word is what illuminates the dark places of our heart and then allows through his word Jesus to handle it. Jesus is the light of the world to the darkened heart. Point number two is that Christ is the light of the world to the confused mind. <clears throat> Now, there is a scene in, in the movie Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban where all the students and faculty have returned to Hogwarts for the start of the new school year. Once the students are assembled, Professor Dumbledore begins with some announcements. Welcome, welcome to another year at Hogwarts. Now, I'd like to say a few words before we all become too befuddled by our excellent feast. First, I'm pleased to welcome Professor R.J. Lupin, who's kindly consented to fill the post of Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Good luck, Professor. Oh, is this why you need to give me the chocolate, Harry? Potter! Is it true you fainted? Oh, I mean, you actually fainted. Shove off, Malfoy. How did he Professor find out? Kevin. Just forget it. Has decided to retire in order to spend more time with his remaining limbs. Fortunately, I'm delighted to announce that his place will be taken by none other than our own Rubius Hagrid. <laughs> Finally, on a more described until further notice, play host to the Dementors of Azkaban. Until such a time as Sirius Black is captured. The Dementors will be stationed at every entrance to the grounds. Now, whilst I've been assured that their presence will not disrupt our day-to-day -day activities, a word of caution. Dementors are vicious creatures. They will not distinguish between the one they hunt and the one who gets in their way. Therefore, I must warn each and every one of you to give them no reason to harm you. It is not in the nature of a Dementor to be forgiving. But you know, happiness can be found even in the darkest of times. If one only
only remembers to turn on the light. In the presence of the Dementors, this dark fear settles over all of the students. And instead of telling them to cower and to give in to it, Professor Dumbledore advises them to turn on the light. Now, Hogwarts is a fantasy realm, but the real world is still filled with dark fears of its own. We may not have the Dementors to avoid, but there's an awful lot of other dangers that are out there trying to snuff us out. The fear of violence, the fear of being unpopular, the risk <coughs> involved in sharing our faith. All of these things can cause us to have a confused mind, to pull ourselves <coughs> and make us ineffective. <coughs> of course, Dumbledore wasn't the first to tell people to turn on the light. Jesus told his disciples that they are lights of the world. He said that when lamps are lit, no one puts them under a basket to hide them in the darkness. Instead, they're placed on a lampstand to light up the whole house. He tells his disciples to let their lights shine so that people would glorify God. Jesus is that light. When we seem to be suffering with a confused mind, whether it's depression or anything else that kind of creates this cloud of darkness that can hang over people. Don't hesitate. Turn on the light. When confusion brings some kind of darkness and this voice in your head starts to say things like, you're no good, you can't do that, you know, all of that negative talk that so many of us hear, up your Bible, turn to the New Testament, get a pencil or a highlighter, and start underlining or highlighting who God says you are. Because that's the truth. And that's how you banish darkness with light. Jesus is the light of the world, and he can bring clarity to the confused mind. Finally, point three is that Christ is the light of the world to timid spirits. Now, at first glance, Steve and Catherine's home might look like a dingy basement apartment. But then you might notice that everything rests on crates. You see, Steve and Catherine live in an underground flood tunnel in Las Vegas. And they're not alone. More than 700 other people live in these tunnels. Day in and day out, they deal with black widow spiders and mosquitoes, but they say it's cooler than the streets and the cops don't bother them. An article on the site asylum.com profiled these flood, flood tunnel dwellers, saying they formed a community united by a collection of graffiti drawn by resident artists that they call their art gallery. And what else holds them together as a community? Fear of flooding, 
which has killed 20 of these underground dwellers over the last couple of decades. Now, it's not my intent <coughs> in any way to judge you know, the people that live in this tunnel. They're probably there for as many reasons as there are people living there. But I mention it because this story paints a vivid picture of how so many Christians live. In the dark, as if light is still in a neck-and-neck -neck battle with darkness. <laughs> but that's okay. The disciples didn't get it at first either. They were also timid, hanging out together in dark rooms, fearful of what the religious establishment might try to do to them because they were followers of this man that they had just put to death. <coughs> but then Jesus came and he reiterated something that he had told them before, that he was sending someone to them that would replace their timidity with boldness. The Holy Spirit came and boom, the disciples then began to preach the good news and people saw the light. People, now is not a good time to be timid. See, I think some of us as Christians, we like to hide our timidity in some cases behind this particularly spiritual sounding quote. It was attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, who founded the Franciscan Order. And the quote is this, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. It's intended to say that proclaiming the gospel by example is more virtuous than actually proclaiming it with words. But I have news for you. St. Francis never said this. None of his disciples his early biographers, or his later biographers have any record of these words ever coming out of his mouth. It doesn't show up in any of his writings, not even close. The closest thing comes from his rule of 1221, chapter 12, on how the Franciscans should practice their preaching. He says this, no brother should preach contrary to the form and regulations of the Holy Church, nor unless he has been permitted by his minister. All the friars should preach by their deeds. Essentially, what he's saying is make sure that your deeds match your words. And while <clears throat> there's kind of this nice and, and really good sentiment in that statement, be sure that you live out the grace and truth of the gospel, the notion that it, it, the way it's typically presented is practical and it's not faithful to the gospel. And it doesn't even align with St. Francis' own practice. His first bi biographer, Thomas of Salano, writing just three years after Francis' death, quotes him instructing his co-workers in the gospel thusly. The preacher must first draw from secret prayers what he will later pour out in holy sermons. He must first grow hot from within before he speaks words that are in themselves cold. Let me repeat, now is not a good 
time to be timid. Our world is steadily slipping into darkness. And it's time to reject the notion that all we have to do is just live a good and righteous life and that's enough to spread the gospel. We have got to let the light of Jesus obliterate the darkness of timidity that lives in so many of us. Receive the blessing of Jesus, God's love to you, expressed this Christmas, and welcome the light of the world to bring clarity to your decisions, to your desires, and to your actions. The light of the world himself is with you, lighting your way. So as you go from this place and you reflect on what's been said here, give you some ideas on what you could do. Think about this question. Is the light that you have in your life right now enough to see the way forward? Maybe take 15 minutes today to pray and to welcome Jesus to bless you with more light in whatever circumstance you're in. And then listen for what he might reveal to you what he might say about your circumstance. Remember, Jesus' words are light as well. And then just write down what he shows you. And then act with renewed clarity on whatever it is that you've been uh, asking about. some folks uh, up front to, uh, to pray. And if in particular I could have some people to not be prayed for but pray with Mr. Potter. Because he's <laughs> up here giving of himself as he always does, which is a really good thing. But if you saw my email, you read that he had a rather nasty run-in um, with a carving knife. We won't go into details now about how that happened exactly. <coughs> if you really want to know, you can ask him. He'll share. Um, but um, I want some people to pray with him and to pray that this thing is healed without any intervention from a doctor at all because that would truly be a miracle. But if, uh, if you need prayers, please come to uh, any one of us, and we will be happy to pray with you as well. So let's, uh, we'll just do a dismissal here, and um, it's been a blessing. So Father, I, I just want to thank you for being the light of the world. Thank you for giving us a way that we can illumine the path ahead. Father, help us to find ways to make time to be in your word, 
bless and protect each one here. We give you thanks for miracles of healing. And simply want more. Just want more, Lord. Be with each person here as they leave today and go on about their week. Lord, I pray for a renewed sense of boldness to come against any timidity that we may all have that would allow us to share your word with others and to not simply leave it to those so-called evangelists. Bless us all now as we leave and until we have the chance to be together again. We give you thanks and praise and we ask these things now.